I've made so many changes adapting my life to live with lung cancer that I think now, okay, there's another hurdle, but you just have to learn to live with it. Whatever that may be, you have to keep going on. Advances in lung cancer treatments over the last few years have made it possible to live with lung cancer for years after diagnosis. But living with lung cancer during the COVID-19 pandemic is an entirely new complication. I'm Sarah Beatty. And I'm Diane Mulligan. We're learning more about the risks every day. Getting health care, groceries, and seeing family and friends face to face. These are challenging in the COVID-19 era. These special series of episodes in the Living with Lung Cancer Hope with Answers podcast are designed to help you navigate this new COVID-19 world while living with lung cancer. Lung cancer. It's a tough topic. It's a disease that affects patients, families, friends, co-workers. But first, it's a disease that affects people. The Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast brings you stories about people living, truly living with lung cancer. The researchers dedicated to finding new breakthrough treatments and others who are working to bring hope into the lung cancer experience. Today, we're talking to a board-certified clinical health psychologist who specializes in helping people living with cancer. Dr. Laura Melton joins us from the University of Colorado Cancer Center in Denver with some wonderful ideas for mental wellness during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're also joined by LCFA Speakers Bureau member Frank McKenna, a personal trainer who's been living with lung cancer for almost four years. He describes what it's like to be living with lung cancer right now. It's been a strange couple of months, to be honest with you. Um, I work as a, as a personal trainer. I have my own studio, and I basically see clients one-on-one or two-on-one. And with it, when this all started back in, in March, I guess it was, um, before we had a state order of a stay-at-home, I was contemplating whether to continue working or not, seeing clients, because with lung cancer, I didn't want to get and I felt I was susceptible, my lungs were more susceptible than maybe the average person. So we kind of debated um, whether I should continue working or not. And I decided um, to call my clients and kind of postpone things for a while. And then the, the following day is when our governor um, imposed a stay-at-home order. So I kind of did it a few hours before he did, but it was kind of mandatory thrown in there. But it's it's been tough because I haven't been working and, you know, I've been at home, which has allowed me to get more involved in um, some of the aspects of um, different cancer groups and, and different um, webinars and Zoom conferences and kind of stay involved and, and get more involved that way. So while it's hurt me professionally not being able to work and see and train clients in person, you know, I've kept up with some some Zoom workouts and keeping in touch with them, but also it allowed me to get a little bit more involved with the cancer community, which, you know, if you have to take something positive out of this, I think it's enabled me being at home and, and with computer access to kind of at least be productive, because I, I always want to feel like I'm productive. So that kind of took me on a, a different avenue to be productive during this time. So while it's been a hardship on one sense, it's kind of been a, a, a mini blessing in another sense. Well, and we're all joining by Zoom call. We're all getting used to this and using technology in our upstairs bedrooms and, and guest closets and everything else. 
So Dr. Laura Melton, you know, you are, um, you work with uh, people who have all types of cancer. I suppose this is probably a familiar story that you're hearing from people, including those folks who are living with lung cancer. What are, what are you hearing from your patients? Absolutely. I think it's interesting to be in the middle of a pandemic for all of us. It's interesting to be all experiencing this very radical change in our day-to-day lives in many different ways. And yet for individuals who have cancer, it is, it's bringing back a lot for many of my patients, um, thinking about their mortality again. Um, Many people have that mortality feel of being threatened and then this coming back with with COVID. Um, As Frank mentioned, there's a lot of concern about diminished lung capacity or um, being immune compromised. And the, the early work really didn't tell us a lot what that meant for COVID, just that you might be in a high risk group and so take extra precautions. And I think the other thing now that we're further along in this pandemic is this quarantine fatigue that everybody's experiencing. And we're all getting messages from our governors, from our local legislature, um, from nationally that things should start to reopen, but what does that mean? And what risks are each individual willing to take or not willing to take? And that, you know, becomes very hard. It was almost easier when we were all under lockdown together because we all knew, okay, nobody's going out. Nobody's doing anything unless you're an essential worker. And now that things are starting to creep open, we, many of us know friends or family that are back to work in person wearing masks or people who are thinking about going and doing some sort of camping or vacation this summer and are starting to weigh those things. And it becomes Um, it becomes a a real personal decision and weighing your cancer experience and where you are uh, with your cancer is a huge issue that each person is doing right now. You know, it really is. We asked some of our speakers bureaus to share some of their questions about maintaining balance while learning to live in this whole COVID situation. And the biggest theme that came up was about anxiety. Um, And so, you know, the first one was, how do you balance being cautious without causing yourself more anxiety? What, what do you think is the best way to do that? And then Frank, I'd love to hear what you're doing to, uh, to really counter this anxiety ridden time. I try to keep things as, as quote normal as possible. Um, as a personal trainer, I'm big into fitness. I mean, that's just natural. So I did bring some things home from my studio, put them in the garage, have a little makeshift um, workout place in the garage so that I can still work out every day. Um, I stick to a, a, a really good nutrition plan to, to kind of build up my immunity to things because I, I want to start back to work. I want to start seeing clients again. I, and the good thing is I only see clients in a one-on-one in my studio, which is a very small space. Now, the problem is it's a small space. So while it's easy to, to maintain the cleanliness of it, you still have a smaller space where you're working with somebody, but it's only one-on-one. So I, I know I, my fear or my, you know, my concern is not only to protect my clients that are coming in, but also protect myself since I can be you know, more at a, at a compromise. So um, I have all the cleaning supplies ready. I have the N95 masks that I will wear and, and gloves and everything. So I feel confident with that. 
um, I have a, an appointment with my doctor on Monday, and that's where we're going to discuss, you know, can I start seeing patients or my clients again, or what do I really need to look out for? Um, I will do outside training as much as possible in an outside space so that that's more of a, an open area. I'm able to do that. And again, I only see people one-on-one. -on -one, so I know I can keep my distance with them while in my studio, and I can clean everything that they've used afterwards. But it's, it's still that you're not back to normal yet. And so it's still getting through the day, trying to, as, as I said, make myself productive. What can I do productive today? I felt like training clients and working was productive. I was helping other people. I was engaged with other people. And now it's, you know, it's just through teleconference or it's through emails or it's through a phone conversation. So it's, it's not quite the same, but it's still, you have to kind of keep that, that kind of embers burning that, you're making a difference and you're doing something. And, and I think that, you know, getting involved as much as I can online with things, I think that's kind of helped me mentally to think that I'm still doing well. I'm still doing, you know, making a difference. I feel great. You know, I'm doing well personally. And I know that time's going to come when I can get back to work and get back to seeing clients again. And I just want, I don't want that to seem like, oh, this is new. I wouldn't want it to seem like we just picked right back up where we left off two and a half months ago. Absolutely. And, and Dr. Melton, Frank talked about having a plan. He talked about keeping a schedule. I think a lot of people are worried about how not to go down the rabbit hole, how to, you know, stay updated, but not live in fear. What do you suggest for them? Yeah, Frank brought up some really great points about really, you know, what are you surrounding yourself with, both in your physical environment and your mentality? So Frank and his profession brought some home some of his equipment so he could keep exercising because he realizes that's a really important factor for him for both his physical and his mental health and he also talked about continuing to eat really healthy you know we know that our um, there are certain health behaviors that are the cornerstone of our mental health exercise and moving our body is one of those things the food that we nourish our body with our sleep um, drinking water and how we manage stress and so, you know, making sure we go back to those basics, um, am I taking care of myself in all of those ways? The next thing is we're inundated with media. You can't turn on your phone or go to social media without hearing rants or people disagreeing or agreeing or blasting somebody. And it can be really anxiety provoking to just have that media 24 seven. And so I really encourage people to really look at how they interact with getting information. Most of us want to stay informed. I, I'm behind that 100%. And we need to figure out what's the best format. When you watch live video um, or live events of news conferences or things like that, that's a very different feeling than reading about it or reading highlights of it. Many people have to go off social media right now because too many people in their lives are making statements that are hurtful to them, not necessarily on purpose, but that just there's enough good, enough bad things that it doesn't outweigh the good things. So I think it's okay to give yourself a break to say, to put boundaries. I'm only going to do social media once a week, or I'm going to take a break from it for a while. I'm going to watch the news at noon and then I'm going to turn off the TV for the rest of the day and I'm I'm not going to interact or I'm going to just switch to, to reading news online because it's less upsetting to me and I can more control 
which articles I click on so I know from a headline what I'm going to be experiencing and what I'm going to be taking in. That's great advice. I'd love to get both of you to weigh in here um, because the next, you know, probably three uh, questions that we got or statements that we got from folks are really all about managing um, relationships. And these could be relationships with friends and family who um, live outside your house that you don't get to see all the time and you have to make that calculation. But then also the friends, the family that you live with. Um, and how that's a different calculation about how cautious they are and how cautious someone living with lung cancer might need to be. And somebody even described as sort of like new world COVID manners. What's that like? Maybe Frank, you can tell us what's that like as you're, as you're navigating that yourself. And then Dr. Melton, I'd love to just get your perspective on the best way to have those conversations with friends and family. A lot of my routine is hasn't really changed a lot or hasn't been a big change. Um, my wife is a retired teacher, so she's retired and she's been home with me. And so we are home a lot, but then I usually go off to the studio and train clients. So I haven't been able to do that. But as far as like keeping in touch, I have three children and none of them live, you know, like in the city here with me. So you've got keeping in touch with you know, my kids is, is one thing. And, you know, I have four sisters that live in the Pittsburgh area and, and, you know, we're a tight knit family. So still keeping in touch with them and, and finding out, you know, what's going on in their lives or what's happening in our lives, keeping them up to date on, on things is, is big, but it's tough. Um, you know, like I haven't been anywhere, but, but my studio, I, I check in once a week and, come back home. And so I haven't been in a store in two and a half months. So, you know, my wife has to, to go and, and do the grocery shopping or pick things up at the pharmacy and mm-hmm. comes home and she wears her, her gloves and she wears her mask and she's, you know, extremely careful, washes everything off when she brings it home because she knows she can't be bringing it home to me, that I don't go into these places or haven't gone into these places, but she knows that she can't bring it home to me. So she takes every precaution, which you know, is a new normal for her to, to wear gloves and wear a mask and watch where you go in places and don't go in places if they're crowded. If that store's crowded, you know, she, she won't go in. She, you know, a lot of the stores have in place where it's one-way aisles and one exit and one entrance and, and different things. So that has helped, but it's, you know, she has to take precaution that I don't think she's afraid of her getting it as much as if she did passing it on to me. So that's an extra burden on the loved ones that, that we live with, that it's not, you know, like I worry about, you know, that I can't get it, but I really haven't been anywhere. She's the one who's going out and thinking I can't bring this home to him or I can't, you know, bring anything in. So that's that's kind of stressful on the caregivers or stressful on the family that you're with it, that even I think is more stressful than me. I don't worry as much about me getting it as she worries about bringing it home and giving it to me that way. So that's kind of, you know, as I said, it's more strenuous or it's more stress on, I think, the caregivers or the family that lives with you than it may be on the actual person who has the lung cancer. I've heard some stories too from um, patients talking about having certain extended family members that just haven't been taking the precautions as seriously and yet want to come and interact. And I think that what Frank talked about is is stressful on the caregiver and nice if it's kind of contained, 
for a lot of people, it can be really messy where you might not have choices. You might need assistance with childcare or having um, older relatives that, that are interacting with, with you in your lives. Um, and thinking about, you know, we're only, we're only at the beginning of summer right now, but thinking about back to school time, there's lots of question marks in the air about whether elementary and middle and high schools will be in person or virtual or likely some sort of hybrid. And I know a lot of people are starting to feel anxious about those precautions because as adults, I think we do, we understand precautions very differently than children who really still are confused by this whole pandemic. And, and those listening with children, you know, I know that's just that added layer of stress thinking about sending your kids back to school in the fall. And even if proper social distancing is taking place, what sorts of risks are you taking on in those environments? How do you help people manage that? I mean, I'm thinking of three members of the Speakers Bureau who have children who are living at home in you know, elementary, middle schools and one in high school. I mean, how do you manage that lovingly as, as a family living under the same roof? I think there's a lot of honesty about the situation and, and being tactful, age dependent, absolutely. But, you know, if they're elementary or middle or high school, I think you can be honest about the risks of what's happening and why we're social distancing right now and why our family might continue to do things a little bit differently and that we're all just trying to stay safe. I think parents who are looking at the fall need to be have open and honest conversations with their principals of the schools and say what their particular unique situations are because their, their situation needs to be taken into account. And I know that there's lots of situations going on um, people who don't have jobs now or um, can't pay for school lunches anymore, things like that. But everybody deserves to have their voice heard. And, and somebody living with lung cancer in particular really needs to be advocating for themselves and for their families um, for those needs. And nobody's guaranteeing anything three months in advance, right? But now's the time to start to have those conversations. I think if you're open and you're honest and you're tactful about it, saying here's our particular needs and here's where our family is standing, certainly a lot can change in a few months when there's more testing available and we know more, there might be changes to that, but here's where we're sitting and what, what could you potentially offer us as well? And what would you suggest to someone who, because I, I, I've heard a number of Speakers Bureau members say, you know, I've got that friend or that family member, or whatever, who just says, oh, come on, it's all right. It's, I mean, really, come on out, just come with me and we'll go have a drink and, and it's okay. I really think you have to stick to your gut of what's right for you. Don't let anybody steamroll you or guilt you into it. We all have our own set of rules that we maintain for ourselves. Um, and this is, this is a time where there's going to be a lot of social pushing to get back to normal or do whatever normal people are doing. Um, so it's going to be extra hard if you're going to continue to maintain more of a social distancing and protect yourself differently. So that's why I think it's really important to make sure you're surrounding yourself with people who understand why you're doing it, who reinforce that. Um, you know, 
many people are getting sick and tired of doing virtual calls or virtual videos. And I think we got to make them more exciting, right? Play games. You can have social events and you can play games. I've had a, one of my patients um, talked about having a baby shower via Zoom. And so she had a list of things and said go and people had to go find a, a, a hot water bottle um, container, which nobody had, or a red marker, you know, and I think there are things that we can just try to try to engage a little bit more. You can, you know, have cocktail hour if that's appropriate for you. You can get have a pizza party, everybody get pizza delivered together. Um, or my son did a video call with his friend and pointed it at our television so they could watch Scooby-Doo together. And that was his way of connecting with that friend. Um, and so I think we can be more creative. We can continue to be creative so we stay connected without taking risks that, that push our boundaries. And Dr. Melton, I would love to hear what, what suggestions you have because I would think the feelings, Frank, tell me if I'm right, but I would think the feelings of, of you wanna see your son who goes out and sees all his friends. You don't want him to feel like he's being ostracized because of it or that you love him any less or any of the other things that the crazy stuff that goes through all of parents' heads. So um, Dr. Melton, how do you deal with that when you have you know, a number of kids, especially I think when the kids are older, sometimes it's even harder um, to, you know, to say this is really important and not have that, that concern that, oh, I'm pushing them away. Yeah, I just, um, just to, to kind of piggyback on that, um, within my, my own family, as I said, none of my children live um, here in Virginia Beach, but I do have a, a son who lives about an hour away and a daughter that lives five hours away. And then my other son lives all, all the way out in California in San Francisco. And he's been um, on, on stay home orders for a very long time. They were, they were one of the first, but even among my children, um, my one son and daughter are saying, you know, don't work and don't go outside. If you go outside, wear a mask. If you go to the beach, wear a mask, even if you're walking on the beach. And my other son is like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't think you really have to wear a mask. I don't think it's that. And it's, it's not that, that one of them doesn't care. It's just that I think that there's such that split in society, should you wear a mask, should you not? And, and I have two, and they're both um, related to the medical field, my, my two children, and they're the ones that are saying, you need to wear the mask, this is serious, you can't get anything if it gets in your lungs. And, and then my other son, who's not in the medical field, is just kind of like, well, I know you're, you're being protective, but you know we'd like to come visit, but yet he goes to the mall with his fiance, and they goes to work every day, and they go out, and they see other people, and it's like, I just can't risk even though I'd love to see him in person, I just can't risk coming into the home and maybe bringing something in knowing, you know, that I may be more susceptible than anybody else he sees during the day. And he understands that, but there's just those two sides of the coin, which can even be within your own family. You have the, the different beliefs. I think we all have the rational part of our brain and the irrational and sometimes emotional parts of our brain. And yes, there's still controversy, controversies around whether or not this lockdown was necessary. And, and you'll, hear, you'll hear conspiracy theories going around. But I think rationally, the majority of people recognize that this is a serious situation, that a lot of people are contracting this disease, people are dying from this disease, and that their family members with lung cancer 
lung cancer. You know, this is a, we're not just talking about any cancer. We're talking about lung cancer. We're talking about a disease that impacts breathing in the lungs. And so I think a lot of people rationally get that. I think emotionally, a lot of people are fatigued from being in lockdown. Many people already had a very active life where they were driving to work, going to the grocery store on a whim and not thinking about it, going out with friends to concerts or things like that, and then coming to see a family member with cancer. And so to, to start to resume part of everyday life and then not to have that option of still visiting with that family member, again, emotionally, it doesn't make sense, right? If I'm going back to my quote normal life or starting to see glimmers of that, I want everything to be back to that way. And I think as we move forward with COVID, what we're going to see is there's parts of everyday life that are probably permanently changed. And we're all still figuring out what those are. I think for grown children who uh, in, Frank's in Frank's situation, as he discussed it, I think it's okay to acknowledge that, that it might be disappointing that I'm not able to connect with you right now. I want to see you as well. And yet under, with my rules right now, you'd have to come and fly here and then stay in quarantine for 14 days and then enter my house for us to talk. And, and that's a lot to ask. And so if we can be creative in how we're interacting with each other, just for a while longer, just till we have some more data, just till each, each person can meet with their doctor and figure out what are my risk factors, what should I be looking out for as we have better global data. I think that that'll make things easier. And right now, hopefully we're headed towards better weather, um, at least with summertime, perhaps there can be outdoor interactions with social distancing happening. Uh, so that you can still sit on your patio and someone can sit in their backyard in your backyard and you can interact with them. I've seen lots of creative ways of connecting with people on the internet, uh, whether it's happy birthdays with drive-by, you know, car parades happening, um, or you know, surprises of virtual, you know, packages sent to people that they get to open. I think truly just telling people how much you love them and how much you care for them and that your relationship is so important. And that's why I wanna take the time to make sure we can interact. It just can't be in person right now. I'm just, I'm, I'm not ready for that. And I get it that you might be in the rest of your life. And that's just not a risk I'm willing to take at this moment in time. And I'm wondering from the both of you, because it sounds like, and I hate to use this phrase because it's, it's a bit worn out already, but the new normal, right? It sounds like what we're talking about is finding that new normal. You know, what advice do each of you have for how to go about that as we work through this process for someone living with lung cancer, for someone living with someone who's living with lung cancer, or someone who's, um, you know, friends or family or coworkers, you know, what is that? How do we get to that new normal? I would say that you're right. That phrase new normal is such a, a difficult one because it brings up a lot of emotions for a lot of people. Um, I think that what's been hard under a pandemic is we've been living day to day. We still, our conversation today is, well, maybe in three months, the schools might be open or maybe not. Maybe it'll be okay to do X, Y, or Z. So I think creating some sense of normalcy and giving yourself a month at a time to say, 
not forever, but for this next 30 days, here's what I'm going to do in my life, because it's probably not going to change that dramatically in 30 days. And of course, you can always change it. But for the next 30 days, here's how I'm going to take care of myself. Here's the self-care that I'm going to add in. Now, certainly, like Frank was used to exercising in his, in his gym and had access to certain equipment. Um, many of us who are used to doing other things that we can't do for self-care, but really figuring out what are small things that I can add in just for the next 30 days to take care of myself. And then let's reassess it in 30 days and we'll have better idea of what's going on as far as COVID goes and, and what's opening up, not opening up in my world and then make a new plan for 30 days. Cause I think if we live day to day, it's so stressful. It's anxiety provoking. We never create a routine because we, we've never wanted to settle in that this is the, the pace of things. So if we can just start with a small amount of time and give ourselves the give ourselves the allowance that it's okay to create a routine that's just for 30 days and then create a new routine after that. I think that can go a long ways to helping people feel some sense of um, norm, not normalcy, but a sense of a routine on a regular basis. For me, when, when I was diagnosed with lung cancer, I developed a new normal. Um, there were things I didn't do anymore. If people were smoking, I sure didn't go around them. Um, you, you know, you wouldn't go to areas, you know, maybe, you know, walk through places that where there was, you know, the pollution or where, you know, where there would be more people smoking or things like that. Um, I completely changed my diet. I cut out sugar. I, I went plant-based diet. I, you know, included some things that I thought would help with my immune system or help build up, you know, build up my immune system and, and, and keep my body strong mm -hmm. and help you know, to beat my lung cancer. So this is just kind of another step with that. Okay, now I have this. So when I go out, I need to wear a mask. Or when I train clients now, I need to wear a mask. I need to wear gloves. I need to keep things even cleaner than I did before. So it's, it is an, it is an, adapt, an adaption to that. You have to adapt to this new situation. But I've made so many changes over the past four years, adapting my life to live with lung cancer that I think now, okay, there's another hurdle that you just have to learn to live with it. Whatever that may be, you have to keep going on. It, it's, you know, they, they talk about, well, the, the percentage of people that die from this is so small. It's such a, a small amount. But with lung cancer, I am that small amount. I mean, that is me. So I know that, you know, I have to take every precaution that I can, but I'm, I've just been accustomed to, you know, making those changes through lung cancer, that this is just another step more that you have to do, but it's not like the shock of you have lung cancer. Now, what are you going to do? It's okay. This is this COVID and we're going through it. Now, what are we going to do? But we've already adjusted so much. It's just already an adjustment is an everyday way of life already. So we just make a couple more adjustments. Just another step in the process. Isn't that a great perspective? We are so grateful to LCFA Speakers Bureau member Frank McKenna and Dr. Laura Melton, a clinical psychologist with the University of Colorado Cancer Center, for this conversation about staying emotionally and mentally healthy as a lung cancer patient during COVID-19. We should also tell you that there's a wonderful tip sheet for maintaining good mental health that Dr. Melton shared with us. You can find it and print it out from the show notes. Would you like more Hope With Answers? 
please visit us online at lcfamerica.org where you can get more information about the latest in lung cancer research, new treatments, and so much more. I'm Sarah Beatty. And I'm Diane Mulligan. You can also join the conversation with LCFA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, consider making a donation to help LCFA fund cutting-edge research that will lead to new treatments and protocols with the goal of greater survival rates for lung cancer patients everywhere. See you next time.